for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dirk Pullman Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Willkommen, bienvenue, welcome to the Dirk Pullman Show from Berlin, Germany. And my guest today is Maria Janssen. Uh, the fellow journalists in Germany know her as Masha. She had been working for RT, a cherished colleague. And um, for me, the chance to talk to somebody who lives in Moscow. There's quite a lot going on in terms of the war in Ukraine. But not only that, she lived for some time in Germany and then moved back to Russia. And that is also something I'd like to know from her. But great to have you on here, Masha. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Dirk. Um, thank you for having me. I'm I'm doing fine. Um, and we have a lot of snow here in Moscow. And other than that, it's actually everybody's in a good mood. And me yeah. as well, because it's Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And How are you? We also, we also have a lot of snow here. Uh, it's astonishing. Uh, maybe I have to do a little bit more car driving. Uh, so that I, it's really, uh, we were told it's the warmest October, uh, since, uh, the start of, uh, of the temperature really when temperatures are taken by taken down scientifically. But right now it's really pretty much, uh, as I call Berlin, Western Siberia. This is what we have here. I'm just waiting for the penguins <laughs> to show up. Yeah. Marauding penguins. Oh, no. That's what oh, <laughs> how much minus do you have? We have minus <laughs> minus seven or minus eight in Moscow. That's yeah, normal. in the in the morning, but that's normal. We have something in the morning. It was minus seven too because uh, I look on the temperature uh, thermometer thermometer in the morning, but it's so it's similar. But uh, always, of course, Moscow is a little colder. Yeah, but that will carry. Yeah, well, on. you see, um, you know what what it means. Putin, Putin is there, uh, so that's why <laughs> humanity. <laughs> Russian hackers and Putin that that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> then yeah, then I could dive straight into the first question on that. Uh, you were sure. when did you move from from Germany to Russia, really? Well, I um last summer, actually. And before that, I was uh, living in Germany for 20 years. I lived in Munich and Berlin um, and worked for RT seven, seven and a half years. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the problem, the IT, uh, RT uh, was not allowed to stream anymore. And, um, well, and, and I don't want to fit some rumors because probably people, there are maybe some people who expect me to, sh you know, whistle, blow a whistle on some shady <laughs> stuff that were going on in, at RT. I cannot say mm -hmm. anything bad about RT. I actually liked it there. And, um, but I left because of the restrictions of the EU, EU restrictions. And, you know, a lot of people there, if, if you're working on camera and uh, you make uh, reports and stuff like that, it's, it's actually something that you like to do. And one, one of a sudden you're not allowed to do that anymore. So mm -hmm. I was searching because of that, I was uh, looking for some other opportunities. And then I decided, you know what, I have some, money that I saved up and why don't I go ahead and move back to Russia, which is my, yeah, I, I, it's not my hometown. I'm actually from Donetsk, as you know, this is my hometown. I'm from, I'm, I'm a Donetsk girl, but my mom still lives in Donetsk 
And one of the reasons was also that, you know, my mom is, uh, I want to be closer to my mom, um, especially mm. since my dad passed away and uh, she's alone now. And I don't really feel good with living so far away from her. And mm. so there was really a couple of reasons. And then I decided why don't I go to Russia and just, mm. it, I, eventually I just uh, try to try and take a look at what life's looks like in here and now i like it so much i don't want to go back i i decided <laughs> i've decided already that i'm staying i'm staying i will try to stay <laughs> okay i mean um that is uh in germany as in many other european countries rt was shut down and that was ridiculous i mean uh rt started out like i would say um, student university tv and it became yeah. better and better over the years. And uh, you have interviewed me, I don't know, two times, I think, or so. Yeah. Uh, and, I, uh, on... I think even more. It might be okay. more. A couple, a couple might, of times there yeah. was like a small comments. Uh, yeah, that's where... yeah, that's also. Uh, but I was always blinded by you, so <laughs> so the point was. <laughs> uh, so I re just recall your face. Yeah, I just, uh, what do I have to say? Okay, but uh, be that as it may, uh, it is. Um, uh, it's even on on Wikipedia. I can read that I like to do interviews, uh, give interviews to RT. This is what they wrote. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I never, uh, I never said no to any interview up to now. Uh, in fact, only yeah. one time uh, from a guy who arranged. Uh, yeah, death threats against me and i said that's not whom somebody would like to talk to but that is the only occurrence ever that uh, i rejected an interview but uh, with rt it was no problem because it was always interesting and i think it was it was public dissent on the official narrative that we have and only which is, which is also weird like why would you uh, send somebody death threat and then invite this person to an interview this is weird. Yeah. You don't do yeah, that. that... <laughs> why, why would you? Why would you want to talk to them? Like, like I want to kill you actually. But why don't we just sit, sit up, sit down, and talk with each other? That's weird. <laughs> It's a yeah, that is, that is kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's also, I mean, I call that death threats, but uh, uh, to most of the things that I got, uh, I didn't really take serious. Yeah, I just didn't tell them at home uh, to get nobody nervous about it because then there are th always second thoughts. But for me, it was not that I thought, oh, I'm in danger. Yeah, it was uh, rather, oh my God, there are so many idiots around here. Yeah. But uh, for RT, um, that is, uh, I always explain to people uh, when I've been, for example, um, in uh, close to the to the turn of the of the decade, um, many times in Vietnam, and there I could watch uh, in the hotel. I could watch CNN. I could watch BBC. I could watch mm. Deutsche Welle. I could watch RT. Um, uh, and also Chinese TV. Um, so I had, uh, and in the end, when. That was RT English, of course, yeah. And then most of the mm -hmm. times I got stuck in RT English because it was the most interesting, as I say, dissident view. And of course, everything that happened in, in Europe at that time, uh, the, uh, they practically, uh, it was not possible for RT to stream anymore. They did all kinds of sneaky stuff to to get you from the from the air. That yeah, and, and you know, you know, the thing is, the the very big difference. What I found to be a big difference between journalists um, and reports uh, in 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 the media in Russia and in the media in, in Germany, um, they in Russia they actually way more decent on using words like 
Nazi regime and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And you probably know it in German media. It's normal. They when they talk about uh, presidents of Russia, they uh, use words like a dictator, autocrat, and what mm. have you, tyrant, uh, and and they call um, the government. Um, would call a regime and and these you have a in in in, a, in your usual media and this is not normal for russia for russia if you watch okay you you can have this kind of uh words still but more not as in official media more like maybe from some bloggers or if you have some comment where uh, somebody um distances himself from media and says i'm just saying my opinion but um the, the difference is, is that in Germany, uh, you have like a normal um, news for you and, and they would still use this language. And this is, I, I always thought that there was so, th- this has nothing to do with journalism. And you mm. have to understand, this is not a journalism. You can do it mm. if you have your uh, opinion article or something like that, but you cannot use, this is, you know, you, you just don't, it's, it's not, it's a journalistic integrity and um, whatever side you're on. And of course they have their narrative in Russia as well. Of course they do, Mm. but they won't use those kind of um, those, those kind tag tags that they put on people. They, they Mm. use much less of those tags. And I would say this is probably uh, the thing that I notice the most, and, and this has a huge effect on people, because if you talk to Russians here, when you come to Russia as a German guy, uh, you wouldn't notice any kind of, um, you know, an- anger towards you or anything like that. Nothing of the sort. Like people still will. Very true. Uh, I can, yeah. yeah. I, I, there's no, whenever I went there, I was, uh, I, I'm quite Western educated, so to speak. Um, I spent my youth yeah. and my early student uh, years more in the Anglo-Saxon world. I've, uh, the first time I'd been to Russia was 1999. And um, I have to say that uh, I was overwhelmed. I didn't know what I would encounter. You know, we have all these Cold War uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, pre- uh, prejudices in our head uh and yeah. uh, even if they're not in their head they're somewhere this is also what can work now they they appeal to that but when i was there the first thing that i encountered was they were curious people they were very friendly yeah. um, whenever i was in yeah. russia i got a lot of invitations very short and very uh yeah. it's very very straightforward yeah and then uh, so i can only um if somebody has the chance to go to russia I think uh, he or she should do it because uh, you will encounter something that you haven't imagined unless you are knowledgeable about it. But I wasn't. And then I then in the discussions, I noticed that I think there's a, a, a how to say a deep rooted cultural proximity between Russia mm. and Germany, although they are different. Yeah. But there's something that that brings us together. It's the same yeah. kind of thinking. It is also it's a it's an an air where um at least for for in former times in germany for example if somebody was an academic that was something same is true for russia and you have all kind of weird intellectuals and i've been in saint petersburg which is my favorite town <laughs> in russia and they're all really? over if you go to a cafe there it's uh it's uh i've never been there like, actually i'm uh, um, oh I, my I, God. ashamed to, to admit this <laughs> really really should, everybody goes like this in russia like yeah, you, you were it, 
this is I have to I have to uh, go to St. Petersburg uh, that's for sure right. and I want then, to then we have to I, it's just that I say it really uh, I, I don't I can also put it this way I don't know anybody who's been there and didn't come back with similar words like I've just uttered them everybody is overwhelmed by it's so uh, uh it's probably because the estimates were so low in the beginning but then you notice wow yeah and now i try to come back as often as i can because it's really it's inspiring and one of the other things mm -hmm. i always want to tell is uh, uh it's uh, i think the country in the world where the most people write a book is iceland but in russia if you go to the subway which is also a thing for itself to go with a subway in moscow if you go to mm -hmm. the subway then you see people reading books and everybody, there's a lot of people reading books. And then you look at the titles of the books. And then, of course, with Kyrillic, you have to uh, to twist it for me. <laughs> and then I notice, man, a ton of people read classics. It is not like mm -hmm. the fantasy story, like in Germany, if you go, for example, in Frankfurt yeah. uh, to the, it's uh, the. Never so saw a Shades is, of Grey book in here. Yeah, no, <laughs> that is, yeah, it is, uh, it's very, very interesting. But then you said, I got to know you because you showed me when, when I was the first time in, in RT in the studio, which was a big studio. And I thought, okay, they have some plans for the future. It was really big. Yeah. <laughs> and, but you had a small office and then you showed me on the screen and you said, look, everybody, uh, is told here in Germany that, uh, people in Russia, get a certain view from the state-run media and it's autocratic and there is this dictator Putin and then look at this and then you showed me some Russian websites and they were critical and then yeah. I, I mean I, I looked at that I noted it uh, I looked at them at home I translated it and, I, and then I thought wow that is quite vivid I mean the style of discussion is much more vivid in Germany meanwhile it's timid I would say that yeah yeah and, uh, and, and how is it and, how is it just, now in just, Russia Okay, and, but and you go ahead. The, <laughs> just look at the German uh, journalists who work who are working in Russia. Uh, I'm talking about Elis Bota or, for example, uh, um, Biedermann from Spiegel. Mm. And and they all, if you read their articles, and and they writing from Moscow, and they've been living here for ten years or even longer. I mean, uh, Biedermann, I I I I I remember he's telling me that he. Uh, he has a Russian uh, wife, so he is really like his his Russian is really good. You can tell this guy was living in in Moscow for very for a very very long time, and all these years he was uh, writing very critical articles uh, about Russia from Moscow. He's not sitting mm -hmm. in Berlin and writing critical articles about Russia. He is writing the, his critical articles. He's criticizing Putin, right? in front of Putin, basically. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, those articles, uh, in all of those articles, you could read like, oh, there's no freedom of speech here. Like mm -hmm. how, that's, come on, dude, you're, you're <laughs> writing your critical articles just in front of Kremlin. And you're saying there's no freedom of speech in here. How much freedom mm -hmm. of speech do you want? Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, this is not the same freedom of speech that I had experienced while working at RT Germany in Berlin. Um, and, and the thing is how it works, it works very different from people would expect because they would expect some weird KGB stuff. Like they, they, if you talk to people in Germany, they have such a naive, um, 
and a naive uh, picture of how journalists uh, would be suppressed. And, and they think that um, suppression of journalists only works with Kalashnikov or something. No, this is not how it works, actually. Uh, what would happen is that uh, oftentimes if we would um, invite um, people from CDU, from the Green Party, no one would ever talk to us. Nobody. Mm -hmm. Nobody. Nobody from these guys. Never. Um no matter how much, how politely you would ask, you know, um, and and they and, and not rarely they would even answer something like they would be really rude. They were like, "I'm not gonna talk to your Russian propaganda." Like, I, why would you say that? I just, I'm a journalist, mm. fellow journalist. I just wrote you an invitation to a um. Uh, interview to an actual to to recent topic like why I'm just doing my job here and um, I I wasn't rude I just uh, I, I was polite I invited you to an interview I'm doing my due diligence and what they would they would sometimes answer something like I hate you and your Russian propaganda and 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 this is what what was like you feel like uh, our job, uh, the, the, basically, if you're working on RT, all the doors are closed for you. Mm -hmm. And yeah. no matter where you knock on, every door is closed. And this is a very... I have to interrupt um, you like, here. Uh, we have to go to the advertisement, but keep your, your mind. Uh, you said all the doors are closed. We get back to that after the ads. Huh? Rick Munn on TNT Radio. There was a, a statement that I saw last week that I thought was quite interesting from one of these uh, web spokespeople, the World Economic Forum spokesperson. And one thing that she said that I thought was quite interesting was she said, you know, um, there has been a little bit of a tail off with people buying into the vaccine narrative. And she blamed that on people like us spreading so-called missing disinformation. She said that climate change was a little bit too much of an abstract concept for people to really grab and get their heads around so that's not really taking off the way they want to either and then she said something very interesting she said you know what when the water crisis comes people will understand that because it's simple and everybody needs water and if you don't have water for a few days at a time you'll know all about it so maybe you know we're hypothesizing a little bit about what's what it's going to take to grab people and bring them back on board again with a world economic forum type narrative could this be what it is locked and loaded with Rick Munn on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%. 
you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the three or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. L.A. County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And this is the Dirk Pullman Show back on track now with Maria Janssen called Masha from Moscow. And she was describing something that I'm very familiar with. That was, uh, all. you said all the doors were closed. When you invited somebody from, let's say, the yeah. people who are critical towards Russia, they don't even want to discuss. And I can, uh, no. I think that is very true. And this is also why they put words like, uh, he likes to be interviewed by RT into my Wikipedia entry because um, for me as a journalist, I always I think I, I need to talk to everybody. But uh, with mm -hmm. RT, with colleagues, with other journalists, it's uh, it's uh, it's a kind sure. of a home run. I don't know why anybody shouldn't do it. And uh, I was yeah. always treated very kindly. It was a, it was a good atmosphere. But also, I know from from everyone you approached. But maybe you explain that you, you were trying to be. Decent, and what happened is that you were called Russian we were, propaganda. We were always polite, very polite in our invitations, and we were just uh, regularly like you, like you would do a journalist. Mm. You have a topic, for example, right now. What do we have right now? Like a war in Ukraine, a war in Israel, and and you would write, uh, you would write to like ten or twenty people, you know, experts and analysts, or uh, and what have you. Mm. And um, most of those people would just say, you know, we're not going to talk to you. And but the funny thing is, Derek, what I was, <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, is that, you know, we were only left with people from IFD and mm. um, like uh, the left party, so the right wing party and, in Germany, the new new right, new alt right party in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. And with the left and um, no middle no, no, uh, like your usual experts that you would see at Markus Lanz and Maischberg and uh, mm. other German media. And um, but we were all also invited them 
this whole time. And then mm. they would point a finger, a finger at us and say, you see, see, they talk to IFD. They're like an IFD uh, TV. Like mm, <laughs> we don't have yeah. a choice really. Um, and, and I think this was the most um, unfair thing that I was um, seeing and experiencing. I was like, um, you did everything. Well, this is like, an, th th this is actually an effect from what you're doing to us. And then you point a finger at us for that same mm -hmm. thing that you're doing and saying, look at them. They don't interview nobody else but this right wing party or left wing party. They don't have anybody from the Green Party or from the city. Like, no, because you wouldn't come to us. It's not because we don't mm -hmm. want to talk to you. And this was a very common uh, everyday um, uh, work. And and then you know after a while, and and you do that when you knew uh, at the channel. The first couple of months, you kind of start thinking, you know, I'm gonna maybe I'm gonna get some somebody from city or SPD to talk to me. And then after a while, after getting all of those rude uh, no's from them, you start to you you don't even want to waste your time because mm -hmm. you know it's gonna come what's gonna come back. You know they're not gonna uh, come to your interview. Why try? Why even spend the time and you know your um um <laughs> effort, <laughs> effort. your effort? Yeah, mm. thank you. Yeah, that is yeah. Uh, that is a very. I can relate to that because I've been working for something like twenty five years, uh, uh, at least uh, for mainstream media in Germany and I've did all these international documentaries and I you know for example Kissinger just died I approached them for an interview not believing that it was possible but then I got an answer back and then in the end it was yeah it's maybe it's impolite to say that but it wasn't interesting enough because what I would get would be diplomatic language but I was uh, going for for hard facts uh, so that was something and I never had trouble to get to talk to people. The point was rather that they assumed that what I would produce out of it would be along the lines of everything else that is mainstream. And then, of course, I um, I could uh, I used it, for example, to get interviews from people where uh, where they didn't uh, think that um, that uh, they uh, the the quotes that I would pick from them would be the ones that I used for the. Uh, for the uh, TV shows that I've done and which have been aired worldwide. Mm. But if I would do, do mm. the same now, and then always pe people ask me, how did you do that? And I said, mm. I just, you know, I came there as a ZTF or an art journalist, and then they assumed it, I would be along these lines, but I had been digging a little bit deeper. And it was not, I, I mean, I didn't uh, uh, some, for example, with my, my last documentary for, for Arte, which was uh, Deception, the Reagan Method, uh, people ask me, how did you get uh, the, the vice chief of US Navy to confess that they were the ones doing the stuff in Sweden in the waters? And I said, it was uh, because he fought. I told him that I make a documentary about how the Cold War was won by the Americans, and they thought it would be hero stories. I didn't tell them a lie. It was just that <laughs> the story was not a hero story, but rather about the deception operations that were used. And I couldn't do it now. And then even doing that, I noticed mm. that, for example, I wouldn't get interviews with people who were active in, in the military or in the intelligence services again. But then again, you know, I've been in, in Crimea a few years ago and I interviewed some bloggers, some Russian bloggers. 
And that was most interesting to me because the one guy, one of these guys was in Crimea, was a Tatar. I don't know how you say that in English, really, uh, Tatar. So from that, from that, uh, yeah. Yeah, from that, uh, uh, it's a <clears throat> Asian it's, it's minority. A Turk, it's a it's Turk Asian, yeah. Yeah, Turk Asian minority in in Russia, and uh, they have been strong in in, in the Crimea, and uh, they are. Um, we are told in the West that they are suppressed, and this guy told me he's uh, he's a specialist for corruption. And then I said, "Oh, okay. Who are you after?" And he said, "Corrupt politicians here on in Crimea." I said. Uh, and you get trouble with the state, uh, with Moscow? And he said, no. <laughs> and they said, okay, what are you telling me now? Uh, he said, yeah, but usually the, they know that, that there is corruption. And then, for example, with the colleagues from the mainstream, he was a blogger from the mainstream in Russia. Um, they, they, If they hear what I do, then they call me and they get footage from me and uh, we exchange information. And sometimes I'm as an interview guest on the on their shows. And then I thought this would never happen in Germany. So, um, for example, uh, some of the things I did when I started to work in the alternative media, which was a choice, I wasn't fired. Yeah. Many people think I just because they started to edit my my films without me, that sounded too much GDR for me. And then I said, okay, it's no use. If I come up with these things and uh, you just censor that, then I will quit. But <clears throat> these people, these uh, two bloggers that I talked to in, in Russia, they uh, it, obviously, this is not in Germany, it's like the wall. It's like East Germany, West mm -hmm. Germany. If you're on the one side, you cannot go to the other side. And um, is that really true? Or is that over optimistic from the guy that I talked to that uh, that it's uh, that there's um, yeah movement in between and that you are uh, that you get contacted and so on so how would you how would you say that i ask you do, because do you Masha like is somebody who tells who's honest it's you won't get a propaganda <laughs> answer from her this is why i ask you this yeah uh, thank you i didn't really un understand it though you mean in 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 crimea or in whole russia I mean, in whole Russia, what I noticed it, uh, I talked with them, it was part of my interview. And then they said, oh, no, in, in Russia, it's uh, this is, uh, you know, this is one of the things I should happen in the Western countries is that people from the alternative media get their training because most of the people that work there just want to be journalists. So mm. they should be able to rise in the ranks and get into uh, into, uh, for example, to do international reporting and so on. But uh, usually you're kept downwards. You you kept on a low level. And uh, that what he told me is know that I collaborate with people from the first channel or from some of the state-run channels even in, in Russia. Uh, and yeah. there's no not a real problem because uh, what I notice is the the sense of free speech. Uh, it's uh, while in Germany, it's hush-hush, as you say. For example, when I talk to people, I get approached by people and I would say, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, can I do an interview? And they say, no, 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 no. Because when I do an interview with you, uh, I will be I will be falling out of my circles. Yeah, yeah? I, I cannot talk. Yeah. And then it's I said, wow, that tells you something about stigmatized. Yeah. And they said, but yeah. you still want to talk to me? I said, yes, yes, yes. I think you are, uh, you're doing a good, mm. good job. And then from this answers you know that something is wrong this is not a free yeah. speech country so how would you judge that in russia uh, exactly, for example let's say the oh. special military operation and war that is the thing that we have been told you're not allowed to say war you go to jail if you do that so what about you 
no, I'm saying war all the time, and I'm here in Moscow, and never nothing happened. And also, I know another Russian bloggers. I, I mean, like, okay, I'm uh, my blog is in German, and maybe uh, people who were supposed to be observing this didn't uh, get didn't uh, get. Uh, um, they were trained in Albanian never heard of and my can't channel, understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but but there you have some other Russian bloggers who have a huge uh, viewers, but uh, like they have a lot of viewers, right? Millions of them, and they also refer to special operation as war, and nothing happens to them as well. So and. Mm, also, uh, you know, uh, to my experience, because because you said this as well, this is interesting. Um, when I used to work at RT in Germany, in Berlin, we had a couple of experts, like I, I don't want to say their names out loud, but mm. you probably can guess who this is. But um, we had these experts who were, would be also uh, talking to a mainstream media in um, Germany, and they they would sometimes write me something like, you know what, I really like what you're doing. I really think you guys at RT are important and I would like to come, but I'm afraid if I'll do so, I'm going to be stigmatized and I'm going to be the outcast. I'm going to be mm -hmm. the outsider and I'm going to never be get, get invited to a mainstream media again. And, you know, this, this also, we have this a lot. Um, and, and, and what I notice, if you compare those, uh, both of these experiences and situations, um, Germany versus Russia. So in Russia, it's completely different. And, um, you, for everybody out there who says, yeah, of course she's paid by Kremlin. What would she say? Yeah. But take a look at, uh, you know, even. German who media. Pays you? Who, okay, then who pays you, Masha, right now? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an interesting question. I mean, um, I would like, and people assume that Kremlin, Kremlin, I really get this a lot. Like Kremlin, Kremlin writes scripts for me. Question is, what do you think Kremlin is doing the whole time? Do you think they have nothing better to do <laughs> than, to, than to, you know, manage people like me, like, come on, be realistic. But, uh, but it's actually funny, you can laugh at it. But yeah, when you see even the German outlets uh, who are in Russia, operating in Russia, like Zeit Online, like uh, Spiegel, uh, City uh, RD, they all have their offices in Moscow. And you can see that they always um, get comments and, and, and interviews from Russian officials. You need, this is completely opposite from what I experienced as a journalist in back in Germany. You know, no, no official would ever come to our oppositional media, right? Because mm -hmm. we're we were in opposition, um, but that this is not what happens in Russia. Um, all the German media could always talk to uh, any Russian uh, official, always. And, and you can see that in actual in, in their articles and the videos they produced, um, you know, come on, Deutsche Welle, um, maybe not after 2022 for obvious reasons, but mm -hmm. um, before that, that was normal. And I was always, um, as a somebody who experienced the opposite in Germany, you know, I was thinking, 
how unfair is that? Our people, like my people in Russia, are so nice and polite to them. They come, any official, even from I, um, from uh, from Putin's party, they would all always come to an interview to Site Online if Site Online would invite them. You can read their comments and, and interviews in um, Site Online, but that's not what happens happened to us. Uh, you know, they would never, we would never even dream of somebody like Steinmeier coming to an interview. No way, mm. that would never happen. Mm. That's the, that's a very huge difference. But of course, I'm not going to say, you know, that Russian media is, is, is the best media in the world. They have their side of the story. German media has their side of the, of the story. Like, and, and you can see there is um, certain rules and they're different. Like there are certain things you shouldn't be saying. Like, um, mm. but, but then again, you know, before uh, the war in Ukraine, um, there were so many oppositional media in Russia who would even call for um, putsch and coup d'etat in, in, in Russia. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they were, you know, and you would never, if you do that in Germany, imagine, imagine RT Germany call for coup d'etat in Berlin and we would we would never do that you know because mm-hmm. uh, we would never even imagine like this and 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 then the words they use like they would use uh they they would like german media would uh, i i believe there was some uh politician russian politician and they called him a dog like what kind of journalist would do that mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. even though even though russian media has a narrative um they have restrictions uh, ju- the journalists but they would never use go that far uh to use this language and um it, it's just i don't know i i'm still i i think the the biggest shock for me is that somehow it seems to me that German society is not aware, and for the most part, um, maybe I am um, very negative, but uh, you tell me, but I, I have a feeling like it's 70% of the German society, they really believe everything they see, and it saddens me. Um, because if you talk to Russians in here, which I did a lot, and people are pretty much aware of uh, media not media not being um, um, neutral. They, they're pretty much aware of this. I've never met a person in here who said like, "I believe everything our media says tells us." Uh, I'm very. Instead, what people tell me here is that I'm very critical. I know they're lying. Mm. I know everybody's lying, but this is not what I my experience from talking to German people most of them, I would say 70% of them would say, yeah, our media is really like the most objective media mm. of all. And it's, thinking, uh, I think there's why? a difference between East Germans and West Germans. Uh, what you say is uh, very true for, for West Germans, but with East Germans, a lot of them have kind of an immune system towards propaganda. They get sarcastic and ironic immediately if they feel that. But, and they are much but better. But you know why, why, why it is? I think this is... Big. <laughs> This is because in Western media, in German Western media, they are very much engaged in a lot of bullying. If you look at the um, 
reports and articles. Sorry, I have to, we have to go back to advertisement. I don't want to interrupt okay. you. So we get into this after the advertisement again. And I want to talk to you about the newest thing from Seymour Hirsch that he says Russia will accept Ukraine and NATO, which is a weird Very statement, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh, okay, advertisement and then for the last 15 minutes. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. It's for the greater good. Have you noticed how often you've heard that expression? Mostly every time someone's advocating taking your rights away? The greater good. It connotes the old phrase, the common good, right? We're doing this for the common good. And we're gonna, yes, we're taking some of your income, but we're doing it for the common good. Well, that's shifted now to the greater good. Greater for whom? Never seems to be greater for me or for you. Always seems to be greater for them. And who gets to decide for whom it's greater? Why? Well, they do, of course. Be silly to allow you and me to be able to determine what's in the greater good and for whom. This is the insidious underbelly of the totalitarian governmental impulse. And it's not just here in the United States, it's in Ireland, it's in the EU, it's in Australia and New Zealand. China, they don't even have to bother about it. They do what they're told. That's the entire essence of a totalitarian regime. But what's scary is how many democratic regimes want to emulate the totalitarian regimes. For the greater good, I'll take a hard pass. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. I want to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. I need to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. Why can't I eat, eat, eat apples and bananas? Support the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks to help provide meals to those in need. Join us at feedingamerica.org. Dirk Pullman on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And my guest is Masha Janssen, Maria Janssen from uh, Moscow. And she was uh, RT journalist. And we were talking about that people in Russia uh, are, they don't, they tend to think that what they see in the media is somehow tainted and they're very careful. They have a distance to that. And uh, and you said in Germany, uh, you felt the that it was different. And I can, I, yeah. I, I agree, I agree. But maybe you talk about that um, a little bit more. Yeah? But I also, I also can tell, because I was studying this for myself. I was really studying through all this. And I was, because I was asking myself, why is that like this? Right. And um, because I also love Germany and it saddens me to see how, why, why is it like that in the German society? Because I know people like you and all of my friends who are really such cool people that I really miss. And, um, and, and they also complain about the same thing. And mm -hmm. the thing is that, that I've noticed that German media likes to, uh, German journalists, I don't know if you can call them that, actually, <laughs> but <laughs> they do uh, bully a lot. They do a lot of bullying. They do a lot of mobbing. That is what they do. For example, do you know this uh, art? Uh, um, there, there, there's <laughs> this is actually funny. Art 
which is, uh, it, it used to be a good, and you worked for them as well. It used to be mm -hmm. a good German, French German media, and it's also a state yeah, it, media. Yeah, shortly to explain that it was a channel that was built, a very good plan, even from Helmut Kohl, yeah, uh, to bring Germany and France together to have the same problem and the two, uh, the same problem, the same program and the two languages. And when I yeah. called people, they said, Arte is, uh, we have a low rating, but we transmit to people with a brain. And there's a lot of effect if you have a, have a story on Arte. It was very low ratings always, but very high, the best quality programming in, uh, exactly. in Germany and France. And I used to watch so much, so, so much documentaries from Arte, used to. You know, mm -hmm. it's in the past um, because uh, <laughs> and I mean, right now, they have, maybe, you know, this new show, they have a show like it's maybe a year old show. And it's um, the host of the show is um, Maria Borsanova, a Russian journalist. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole show, do you know what what they do in every show, every show they, they produce? It's all about how bad Russia is. It's, mm -hmm. it's all they do. This is the whole show. Now, explain to me how is that journalism? It's all, and they only speak and criticize this one country. This is the whole show. They create a format dedicated to uh, bash one nation the whole time. This is not a journalist. And then, if you uh, look, and, and, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to watch her show because I want to know what her arguments are. Maybe she's going to change my mind. That's okay. If the arguments are really good, I'm glad to change my mind. That's okay. I'm, I can admit that I was wrong on some points or, or anything, you know, and then I watched her show. There was not one good argument, not one Dirk, not even mm -hmm. one. All she was doing, all she was doing is laughing like she would, T take something that Russians said on TV or maybe Russians on the street, and then she would laugh about it. Like, <laughs> look at them. Look at those idiots. Look what they say. Like, and I was waiting for some argument. I mean, you called yourself a journalist. I thought you have something to pick mm. this up with. And, and all she was in, and then, and this is this, this kind of a trend that I experienced so often in German television, it goes so far that so many Ger German friends of mine are saying me, Germany, not Russians, German friends, and they saying they cannot watch German television anymore because of this, mm. because there's only, there's so much bullying going on. And what this bullying uh, does to people, it actually scares them because people don't, that I, I think there, you can really divide society um, in, in in two parts, there are coward people and there are um, courageous people, right? And so this coward people are easy to intimidate and mm -hmm. they get intimidated. A lot of people get intimidated when they see how much bullying, how they get laughed at and, you know, mm -hmm. discredited for their opinion. They go, I can understand that people go like, I don't want to be like Vodark. I don't want to be like Bhakti. Mm -hmm. uh, that's too mm -hmm. much. Um, you know, those were um, magicians um, who uh, thought, cri uh, reported critically on COVID nineteen, and they get uh, <laughs> they get banned everywhere. Like what Vodark was even banned from his uh, from from this uh, 
organization he was working at. Like, I mean, this is mm -hmm. really bad. I mean, people lose their jobs because just for their opinion. And, and, and you cannot imagine this in Russia. And if you don't believe me, come to Russia and um, try to say some other opinion and we'll okay, see what happens. Okay, my last question to you, because you didn't really answer us, who pays for your show? But after that, I'd like to get into <laughs> uh, into one thing. Yeah, that is, of course. But the, then I just read, uh, this is what Simo uh, Hirsch in his news article wrote. He says the deal now on the table for Zelensky. He's writing about uh, the uh, the head of the military forces in Ukraine who has a better ratings on the polls for the next election and the quarrel going on there. And he says that uh, Salushni, um, that he says uh, that he knows that there will be a whole generation of Ukrainians missing. And that really saddens me, I have to say. This is a part where yeah. I can, it's hard for me to, for what? I mean, they have something like half a million dead young men now. That is like the Iraq-Iran war, where a whole generation is missing. It's approaching that. It's um, it shouldn't happen in Europe. But uh, what he said is the deal now on the table for Zelensky, the officials said, offers the possibility of Russian support for Ukraine to finally be allowed to join NATO. Crimea would stay in Russian hands and there would be freely monitored Russian presidential elections in the four partially occupied oblasts claimed by Russia. So that is Donetsk. The, uh, the Donbass. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, and also Kherson and Zaporozhye. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that sounds extremely far-fetched to me. <clears throat> I thought that he, this could be the wish of an American general that, that he spoke to. But is this talk in Russia right now? I think it's quite sensationalist. Yeah, uh, is uh, it? Is it? Is it, is uh, is it okay. This is sensational, and uh, I first uh, heard it from you this morning, and I was like, mm -hmm. "No way." It, can, it mm. cannot be because one thing you have to realize that a Russian society is very supporting pretty much President Putin. Uh, like, probably, I'm not going to say to what percentage, but it's uh, the majority. And they. Yeah, I can say it's more than 75% uh, from what I read and also what I feel when I, uh, what I feel when I talk to people. Foreign policy. Uh, internal policy different, less for Putin, but foreign policy, uh, is the, most of the Russians are in line. I, yeah? I, I, and, and you can be sure if this would happen, uh, Russian society would not be pleased with us. They would not mm. be okay with us. And this mm. is why I was so shocked when you told me this. I was like, there must be something like, and there must be some, some caviar to this because I, I can't imagine Putin just, uh, you know, I, how would he communicate it to Russians who, who are really don't mislike NATO? Um, mm. And and then I and and then I wrote, um, I read an article on TASS, which is one of the biggest uh, news agencies in Russia, and they also write in English, which is very convenient mm. for English speakers. Um, and they uh, did. Right, that um, that was talks between two mil uh, militaries, um, like the uh, uh, general uh, ch chief general of uh, Ukraine, Ukrainian armed forces, uh, Valery Salushny, and he was uh, given the okay from Washington, of course, and um, Washington said, "Okay, you can 
uh, have your peace talks with your Russian opponent. And so they were talking all this time, apparently, um, if you um, read Seymour Hirsch. And I really um, respect Seymour Hirsch, and I think he doesn't have any agenda. So I don't really have any reason to doubt what he says. And, he, and he's, if he says his sources telling him this, I believe him. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I'm always, uh, I'm not really like this uh, when, when people write, my sources are telling me because that could be anything really. Mm. Um, but but I can tell you he has Hirsch. a ton of extremely interesting sources. So Seymour Hirsch is on. Exactly. He's, uh, he's the Muhammad Ali of investigative journalism. So it's uh, it's not somebody coming up with something. But this is uh, still, I mean, as exactly. I said, uh, I, I was wondering so, that he so handed that through. Yeah. Yeah, and so and so he said, yeah, well, his sources telling him that Valery Zaluzhny uh, of Ukraine and Valery Gerasimov of um, the they head in chief, uh, like, who, who is here again, so that I'm not saying anything wrong here. Oh, yeah, chief of the general staff of Russian yeah. armed forces, Val Valery Gerasimov. So, and they were uh, having peace talks all the time. And then they decided, the, you know, Russia could eventually allow Ukraine uh, be a, a member of NATO. But there is a caveat to that. And the caveat is that um, they cannot have any NATO troops on Ukrainian soil, number one. And the second is that they don't cannot have NATO offensive weapons on Ukraine in Ukraine. So even though um, they can be officially um, in member of NATO. They, it's not like it's it, it's more like they're maybe a member on the paper, but uh, there's not much going on um, in action. And maybe, and 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 because of these two people, um, I mean, two military guys um, talking, it doesn't mean that you know it's going to come this way. But I think it's, I actually think it's good. I actually mm. think it was it, it's a good ha it, it it's a good thing to have this kind of back channel, right? Um, yes. I think it's good those those military guys are talking to each other and they talking peace. And they, in and some ways, uh, you could say uh, we could see that in Germany with uh, with uh, Harald Kuyat, the chief of the German military. These top military guys, uh, if they are in pension, if they are out of service. Are some of the most reasonable voices you can get. We have about uh, one minute thirty, and my question is: you didn't answer that, Masha. So, how do you really? What do you do now? What is your blog? Who pays for that? How do you make a living now in Russia? Very shortly. <laughs> well, I actually, I actually paid myself. I have uh, my <laughs> money, which I saved up all these years, and because I was <laughs> uh, thinking about getting back to Russia, and now I'm working actually on my book. I want to release a book. Um, uh, in German, and mm -hmm. um, also because I will need money um, <laughs> after a while. Um, mm -hmm. And also people that I have here that work with me, I have very friends of mine, like Nastya, it's not getting paid at all. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, okay. And, I can uh, I can understand that. It's very you're a very nice, very kind person. So that is not far away to say, okay, I do your favor. Uh, but there's no money from the state. That is important. You're not a Russian uh, Russian uh, paid state voice. Yeah. No. no. 
No, of, I just want to make sure. I know, Marsha, but I want to make sure yeah. that everybody knows you're not, you're not uh, the stooge. You're not the submarine from Putin that is now in the show on TNT. I will try to have you back uh, in a uh, in a few weeks or so. I would so, like to meet Putin actually, but all... I never did. <laughs> it's uh, um, it's always worthwhile um, talking to you because. Um, Suddenly, Russia has a, a, a human, a very human face and a pretty face as well. I have to say that. But um, so thank very thank you very much, Maria Janssen, for this thank talk. You, and uh, maybe we get into that. We have been talking on and off and um, I will be in Russia soon. And I hope to see you there. Okay, goodbye. Yes, we'll see you. Bye bye. <laughs>